Welcome to Love, Honor, and Asperger's, a podcast for partners in autistic or narcissistic relationships. Join author April Anderson and her guests as they delve into their personal experiences and offer their insight. With wisdom and wit, this podcast will provide listeners with invaluable guidance, unwavering support, and compelling real-life stories. Ready? Let's dive in. Today, I am pleased and honored to have Dr. Katherine Wrench as my guest on Love, Honor, and Asperger's podcast. We are getting a sneak peek at Dr. Wrench's recently published book, When Eros Meets Autos, Marriage to Someone with Asperger's Syndrome. Now, this book is an all-encompassing, amazing tome where I would say you could say goodbye to therapy, medication, forums bothering your friends, YouTube videos, and hello to this amazing book. I'm going to read the first paragraph and a little bit of her introduction before I bring her on. All right. So she says, what is it like to be married to someone with Asperger's syndrome? Now, this is a question of the ages for all of us involved in that. When Eros meets Autos, marriage to someone with Asperger's syndrome is a fruit of 12 years of research. The project began at a time when almost no one in the world had ever heard of Asperger's. Psychology professors, healthcare service providers, graduates in clinical mental health counseling, and the majority of people with Asperger's. In 2010, I asked the head librarian of my PhD program to search for research articles on Asperger's syndrome. And not only had she never heard of the term, but she was unable to find a single article on it. In view of such a dearth of resources, she strongly suggested I choose a different topic for my dissertation. And the introduction is quite long. I did pick out what she wrote that got to me about love, is what she says. This book is nevertheless really about love. Maybe that is why the research process was so disquieting. Witnessing the tragic damage of a love disorder made it necessary to create equilibrium to be able to write the book. Now, I never thought of all that I've ever read and seen. I've never thought of it as a love disorder. And that really emotionally got to me. Now, this book was difficult for Catherine because it took her down a rabbit hole that she did not expect, which she can tell us about, with abuse and trauma and really the dark side of this whole thing. She said she presumed the findings would reveal quirkiness, and communication glitches. It only became clear as I was progressively able to face and analyze the data, the results which were highly unexpected and I think traumatic. So this is what we're going to have her explain to us, all that she discovered that she unexpectedly ran into interviewing people. So with no further ado here, I'd like to introduce Dr. Catherine Wrench. And I think that it would be great for you to describe why you wrote this book, how it came about to be about Asperger's, and what the title means. Thank you for coming on. All right. Thank you, April. That was a very nice introduction. I really appreciate it. All right. So the first question was, how did I write the book? Well, when I was pursuing my doctorate, which wasn't all that long ago, I really, I was, on the one hand, I was very interested in Asperger's syndrome because I had just discovered it. 
I had just discovered it. I had never heard of it before. I had gone through my master's program. No one had ever mentioned it. We never talked about autism, as a matter of fact, as well, which is really kind of strange. But anyway, when I was pursuing my doctorate, I did not want to do my dissertation on Asperger's syndrome because I found it way too depressing. Mm-hmm. And when you're working on a dissertation topic, you have to dwell in it night and day exactly. for years. Right. Mm-hmm. I did not want to dwell on this topic for years because it was just too depressing. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to do, I wanted to work on a positive topic. Actually, the topic I wanted to work on was the experience of women who have home birth. <laughs> I love the topic because I have right. home birth myself, my wow. six children. And so I just wanted to dwell in that positive mm-hmm. topic. But my dissertation chair, who I absolutely respect 100% wholeheartedly, who is Dr. Korn, K-O-R-N. She has a website and she's written books herself on health and holistic mm-hmm. well-being. Anyway, she said, no, you really, that's been done before. Do Asperger's because no one has done that. Wow. Well, so I listened to my dissertation chair and because that's what you do, right? Exactly. And so, and as you read in my introduction, it was extremely difficult because I couldn't find any information on it. I could only find a few books out written by people who had been married to someone with Asperger's typically. So that is called anecdotal evidence. Exactly. People's personal stories. Now that has value, but when you're working on a PhD dissertation, you need a whole bunch of research articles and premier source research. So I kept on plugging away at my PhD courses. And then a whole year later, I just came across accidentally Mm -hmm. a whole mother load of research reports and professional communiques. Specifically on adults, not children, because the only research you could find was on children. As if I've I've found that. Yeah. Yeah. As if when they grow up, they just grow out of the Asperger's, which is absolutely absurd. (laughs) Oh my God. But I found specific research on adults, not children. And these adults were diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome, not autism or ASD or anything Mm -hmm. else. So the intriguing thing about this discovery was that all of these articles, a whole bunch mm-hmm. of articles, like you stumbling across, I mean, you discover oil, right? And in your field in Texas, <laughs> you discover. So what was intriguing was that all of these articles were published in forensic journals. That wow. is forensic professional journals for professionals in forensic fields. And some of these articles dated all the way back to the 1980s. Wow. So why were they being hidden? That was very interesting. That is. That's a good question. Yeah. So, and the other thing that was intriguing to me was that the anecdotal evidence in personal stories, for example, that did exist in people's books, repeatedly underlined the fact that the non-autistic spouse had serious adverse effects on their physical and psychosocial well-being. Oh, boy. And now, if this was so common, why wasn't anyone researching that? 
Yeah, why? Nobody was. That's I found that really not only intriguing, but unfair. It was unjust. I know, exactly. <laughs> so the double thing here, number one, the adult Asperger's research on this population found in forensic journals and some dating back as far as the 1980s. Mm-hmm. At the same time, their spouses, non-autistic spouses, were repeatedly reporting very serious health consequences, mental and physical health consequences mm-hmm. in their marriage to someone with Asperger's. And no one was paying any attention to that as far as scientific research goes. Exactly. So that is why I decided to focus on that because no one was paying any attention to this very underserved population of what we call neurotypical spouses right. of people married to Adults would ask. Can I, I just interject? The, when I yeah. first met another woman, it would be 15 years ago on a forum that was married to an Asperger fella, and we just bonded right away. But that was her undying theme was no one cares about us. Yeah. And she just, she's still completely bothered by that. She said, no one cares about the Asperger. Well, with good reason. Yeah. With good reason. Well, I figured I had identified mm-hmm. a totally underserved to say the least mm-hmm. i would say just grossly ignored yes. population of empty spouses of mm-hmm. people with asperger's so this since this seems so unfair and when you are in mental health there is a way i mean you become an advocate you there's this aspect of advocacy in the profession that i really like mm-hmm. and so i just it was maybe in the spirit of advocacy for the underserved population of NT. Yes. Wonderful. Yeah. So that's how I got into it. And so I ended up interviewing NT spouses of people with Asperger's. Now they were all women, but mm-hmm. that is not to say that there are not right. male NTs married to female it's true. people Very with Asperger's. True. We know that there yeah. are, but mm-hmm. It's just typical of research in general. Women tend to volunteer for research studies far more than men do. So anyway, so I interviewed women. Now, the absolute criterion was that their spouse or former spouse Mm -hmm. had to have received a formal official diagnosis of Asperger's syndrome from a professional like a neurologist psychiatrist Mm -hmm. in order for my study to maintain some credibility and reliability in the results. And also another uncommon criterion Mm -hmm. for selecting the people to interview was that they had to have been officially married, like Mm -hmm. legally married Mm -hmm. for five years. Why legally married? Because the anecdotal evidence seemed to reveal that someone with Asperger's would hide their condition Mm -hmm. until they were actually married. Mm -hmm. And then often even overnight, often Uh, even that night of the wedding, in fact, the night of the wedding, wedding report, they just flip like a Jekyll and Hyde flip. And all of a sudden you see this person with Asperger's that you never suspected you were marrying so since that was a phenomenon that seemed rather typical of these marriages exactly the women had to have been married 
for five years, Mm -hmm. for the duration of minimum five years. Why? Because the whole theoretical framework of my study was affective neurobiology. Mm -hmm. So I was interested in seeing how each spouse affected the other neurologically. Mm -hmm. And that takes time. Right. So that's kind of the birth of this study. Now, I absolutely was not expecting to find the results that I did. Mm -hmm. As you read from my introduction, I was just expecting some quirkiness, communication glitches, Mm But nothing serious. Right. Well, I was absolutely shocked when I had to go through the data Mm. and start making sense of the data. I was Mm. shocked. I was like shocked in a traumatized way because I, and I fought it for months. I fought with myself. I did not want to see what I saw. Oh, gee. And so what I did was, I put together a whole literature review that had nothing to do with my data Mm -hmm. and submitted the literature review to my dissertation committee. And they said, well, this is a wonderful literature review, but it has nothing to do with your study. Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) And they were right. It didn't have anything. I was evading. I was trying to just. You didn't want to do it. You didn't want to delve that deep. They made you. I did not want to deal with the data that. Wow. Collected. Mm. It took months. In fact, it took nine months fighting with myself Mm. to make sense of the data because, which it would have taken a month if it hadn't been so traumatic and so troubling. But the fact was, I had to face it squarely. Mm -hmm. And the data revealed multiform, daily, across the board, a lifestyle of Domestic violence, intimate terrorism. Right. I didn't want to see that. No, you didn't. But that's all I saw. That's all I saw. And so I, now I had to deal with myself and force myself to write up my Mm -hmm. research. Right. Result. But then I also had to fight with the fear because it was scary to have to actually publish that because your dissertation is published, whether you like it or not. You don't get your PhD if you refuse to have your dissertation published. So it was either, I didn't want it published. <laughs> I did <laughs> not want it published, oh. but because it was scary. Right. But, and I knew revealing this kind of stuff was going to be extremely controversial and that there was going to be, you know, some fallout, fallback or whatever, some kind of, you know, backlash or whatever. I was afraid of it. I was really afraid. So, I didn't want to have my dissertation published, but that was the condition, unavoidable condition in order to actually receive my degree. So I had to go ahead and agree to have it published. Now, so can I just, yeah, yeah. let me read, this is what Dr. Catherine is speaking about now is so serious. In the table of contents, Dr. Catherine has described some of what she's talking about, what she wrote in the book. and. I was just drawn to this particular part. She has a lot of table of contents and a lot of chapters and subchapter titles. But the one referring to what we were just talking about, she calls it a lifestyle of intimate terrorism. I mean, and it is heavy duty. And she says coercion is a crime. 
That's one subtitle. Emotional violence, sexual violence, psychological violence, economic violence, physical violence. And you notice in most of this stuff, it's mostly to me, you know, you have to say, but we always thought if somebody punched in the nose, then they go, oh, you know, like me, poor April, your husband's terrible. But everything usually is done behind closed doors. Right. No one sees all this other stuff. No. And I think it's wonderful that you've written so much about it. And I certainly hope people read that. Thank you, April. Well, you're right. Now, the, I'm glad you highlighted the lifestyle of intimate terrorism, because in the case of these marriages, mm-hmm. the typical, what we call the cycle of violence that you study in you know psychology classes or whatever, the cycle of violence, and social workers are familiar with it in domestic violence, is that, say, for example, the typical, this is like a caricature mm-hmm. scenario, the guy drinks too much. He comes home, he yeah, punches right. his wife, and he calms down, and he apologizes, mm-hmm. and he's fine for a while. Then he goes, it's a cycle of exactly. violence. Mm-hmm. So you have respite between the violent incidents. Whereas with these marriages, what I've found is that it is never ending. Never There ending. is no respite. Mm. There are no sweet moments. He never ever apologizes now when i say he i don't mean to suggest that people with asperger's are only male we have many women with asperger's as well Mm -hmm. who have similar behaviors in marriage but they're just understudied Mm -hmm. because why well men don't volunteer for research studies as much as women which i've been looking for neurotypical men married to women with Asperger's mm-hmm. who would agree to be interviewed, but they're just not interested in volunteering. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Right. Women have a heart to share their experiences mm-hmm. for the benefit of others. Exactly. So what we have here is something that is not typical of your cycle of violence in the classic domestic violence literature. It is ongoing. It is relentless. It is multi-form. You don't have, the guy just doesn't punch his wife every once in a while. Exactly. It's insidious. It's hidden and it makes no bruises. It usually does not break bones. Right. It is all hidden. It's hidden. It's all hidden. And it's, a lot of it is in the form of controlling behavior. And coercive behavior. Now, what people don't realize is that most controlling and coercive behaviors are criminal. They are officially recognized by government. In the UK, for example, a new cross-government non-statutory definition of domestic violence included controlling behaviors and coercive behaviors. Mm -hmm. And these behaviors are absolutely typical of people with Asperger's and it's all people with Asperger's. Sorry, but it's true. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they don't have Asperger's or they don't have autism. So controlling behavior, what do we mean? I'm just going to read the definition right here. Sure. A range of acts designed to make a person subordinate and or dependent by isolating them from sources of support I saw that in almost every single person I've ever interviewed. 
I've done over, I haven't counted the number of hours, but it's over a hundred mm-hmm. hours or anything wow. else I know. It's a typical experience of the neurotypical spouse is that the first thing they do is they're separated from their support system, their family, mm-hmm. their friends, their work. Mm-hmm. So that's part of the controlling behavior. Another part of the controlling behavior is exploiting their resources and capacities for personal gain. That's called economic violence. Mm. Depriving them of the means needed for independence, the means needed for resistance and escape, mm-hmm. and regulating their everyday behavior. Regula- I love that part. I'm hearing that a lot on this podcast. People have to, they have to live life according to another person. Yeah, that is criminal behavior. Sorry, but it is. Wow. And it's no less criminal because it's at home. Now, if the same person with autism would treat someone out in front of a bar the same way they would treat their spouse at home, maybe they would be arrested and accused of something and found guilty of violent behavior. We have to stop thinking that because it's domestic, it's somehow fine, it's somehow okay, it's somehow acceptable. That is wrong. And that's part of the problem in everyone's mind, NT and AS. That is, if it's domestic, that's their problem. Mm -hmm. It's it's not serious. Well, it is. It's criminal behavior in the home. Mm -hmm. Then we have coercive behavior, which is also criminal behavior. And that is defined as by cross-government in the UK, defined as a continuing act or patterns of act mm-hmm. of assault, threat, humiliation, and intimidation, or other abuse that is used to harm, punish, or frighten their victim. Wow. A raised fist is assault. Okay. Scaring someone into submission is assault. That is illegal. You know what I found with my ex-former guy was, and I didn't realize that for the longest time, but men have louder voices. They're bigger people in general. And he would raise his voice. And I guess I cowered to it. I'm so ashamed of myself now for doing that. But no, you, you know, don't have to be ashamed. The voice would get so, you know, the voice would get louder and louder. Yes, that's coercive behavior mm-hmm. to frighten you right. so that you back down and you comply to what they want. Okay. And every single woman I've ever interviewed right. does that. Right. In fact, even after divorce, some of them are still doing that. Why? Because right. some of these, in this case, I just hate to keep saying men with Asperger's because... It's, no, we all understand I think, that. I've read right. books from women with that. You know, I think we all understand that. Yeah, I think we all understand it. Well, these, some of these men... Say, for example, they're making six figures they're working at my mm-hmm, house, sure. mm-hmm. and just out of vindictiveness or out of whatever, some they don't want to lose the control, even after divorce, even after there is a judgment, a final judgment to divorce. Right. Some of these men with Asperger's continue to bring their continue, former right. spouses back into court accusing them of whatever, and this can go on for years. Just the controlling behavior, the coercive behavior, the vindictiveness, the cruelty. When people, when they can't, this is what you're going to, your next volume two of this book is going to be on the custody and the fights. And I, I, luckily, my children were grown and in college and off 
when the push came to shove and the whole thing fell apart. So I didn't have to go through the custody. It sounded like hell, just hell for these people. It is hell. Oh my it God. And in my book, you can read some of these women's stories. I mean, you'll cry. Oh, yes. Mm. Several of them. And just this was my first study, not to mention my second study, which was about co-parenting with, with a spouse with Asperger's. Mm-hmm. And my third study was being raised by a parent with Asperger's. Oh, and the volume number two that a follow-up of this first volume is about co-parenting, then the divorce. It's always high conflict in 99% of the cases Mm -hmm. and then being raised by a parent with autism who can't raise children I'm sorry to say they can't I know that that was my my poor husband he was raised by an I knew there was something wrong with his mother I couldn't had no idea I was going to say no freaking idea but I was going to say it anyway I knew there was something off but but, you know he didn't get the proper upbringing that he should have gotten didn't help Mm -hmm. matters so now, Dr. Catherine, so now have you, did you ever talk to anyone or was a part of your research when people actually are free, you know, no contact, absolutely free because of their Asperger spouse that tormented them and abused them? Because I, and well, we haven't covered the health problems. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody, you know, and I know when we spoke before, you said fibromyalgia was a very common symptom of this chronic mm-hmm. stress. And I have just, I've been five years pretty much not with my guy and Mm -hmm. one year with really actually divorced. And that might've been the, I don't know, but all I know is I was ill for like 40 years and all of a sudden I'm not sick. And I'm I'm like, is this what normal people feel like? You know, I'm going, is this what other people have felt like all these years (laughs) when I was aching and tired and insomnia? Yeah. So, Yeah. yeah. So we got to think about, can any of these poor souls or all of us, you know, get our health back mentally and physically. I mean, do you think it can happen? Not within these marriages, sorry to say, but no, these relationships make us sick, literally right. sick, sick. Physically, right. physically sick and mentally sick. Mm-hmm. And first of all, something that's very common is that these relationships are so frustrating and so assaultive in every way. Mm-hmm. And when I say assaultive, I don't mean just punching with a fist. I mean, stonewalling, not answering your question, silence, or you share something happy and the guy just sits there and stares at you stone-faced. Those are assaults. Oh, I had that. In my book, I call it spirit killing. All excited about something and you get nothing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or when you are happy, they sense it and they figure out how to bring you down, I think. Absolutely. Well, of course, any kind of a celebration, someone's mm-hmm. birthday, Christmas Day, mm-hmm. whatever. Some you know people want to be happy. They're together. They're having fun. A wedding. Mm-hmm. Typical behavior. Right. Right. The person with Asperger's is going to find a way either to have a meltdown, or have a tantrum, <laughs> or get angry, go sulk in the car, or just right. ruin it for everybody. They're going to rain on everyone's parade. Exactly. Why? That's Control. That's a topic I I think it's more than there's probably an aspect of control, but I think it's more than that. There's control probably, but mm-hmm. I think it's more than that. And if I'm brave enough, I will. I do want to address that in volume sure. two, but now, it's going to be so 
It's going to be worse than volume one. I'm oh going my to go somewhere and change You're going to like, you have to your own therapy <laughs> after yours. Now, I, before, we, you know, we were moving along here. I thought one thing that we, there's so much to talk about, but one thing that is pretty important, I think, to you is all the therapy, your opinion on therapy, couples yeah. therapy. And I have, you know, we've been to so much therapy, I can't even tell you. Okay. How much do you spend on your therapy, you think? Right, right. So I would like couples to tell Well, it was like thousands of dollars. Exactly. A lot of the women that I interviewed. And not only does it not help, it makes things worse. Yeah, it made me so upset after I, he was happy. La-di-da, I got to tell all my lies to somebody, you know. But yeah, that's typical. That's yeah, or I if he even knew it. Any, yeah, I don't even know if he really knew. He didn't know how. I, if you take away the insidious part, maybe he, I don't think he knew how to do therapy because his thoughts were so random. And no, but, but I, I want really to tell until they don't want to do therapy. They do not want to do therapy. And if they comply and go to therapy, it's because it'll make them look good. That's and it. It'll make you look worse. Yeah, that's right. And uh, who gets the medication after that? I you. know. Yeah, exactly. Who has the neurological problem? Not you. No. I want to tell my story. You talk about finances and talk about a big waste of money. Yeah. Somebody on a forum mentioned that her husband got better. I'm sure he didn't. He had a relapse or whatever. Doing biofeedback. They had these bio feedback machines, which I think are really good for PTSD. The person we went to, she was had a little child that would come in every other day to keep his ADHD down. It's sort of like a meditation thing, keeps your brain waves at whatever they're supposed to be. I can't, I won't know, is it the theater or whatever? And it can be visual or it can be auditory. And the visual mm-hmm. things snap and when your brain starts going crazy, it kind of snaps yourself back into calmness. And the audio one, you have little clicks. Well, at any rate, we would mm-hmm. travel through Hill and Dale I live in Delaware to Pennsylvania to a woman that had one of these machines. She's a wonderful therapist. I learned a lot from her. She's very kind. And so Bruce would be hooked up to this thing. And it was expensive. I think it was like $200 a time. And then finally, she decided I was more messed up than him. And she put me on it. And so I thought, you know what? If I buy this machine, I had it all figured out. If he does it twice a week and I do it twice a week. And $4,000. That's what I spent on that thing. Four thousand, and it's sitting in the closet. Did he ever do it? Not once. Of course not. First of all, he claimed he couldn't figure it out, even though it was drawn like a cartoon. You put this wire in here, and this wire in this side of your head, and he acted like you know you're trying to figure out E equals MC square or something. I mean, he it was like, huh? I can't do this. And so we tried. That was four thousand dollars. That wasn't counting all the rest of it. And once in a while, I should bring it out and do it for myself just because it's instead of meditating, it is a calming thing, but it isn't going to fix Asperger's. No, absolutely no, not. So that was my $4,000 story. Add that to the other 10. <laughs> that's why couples therapy is a lie. Couples therapy is a lie when one of the partners has Asperger's. It's a right. lie because the only way the marriage will get better is that if first Asperger's is cured, because what is Autism, mm-hmm. Asperger's syndrome or autism, whatever you want to call it. I will read you the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, DSM-5. Mm-hmm. Diagnostic criteria, that means if we don't have this present, you don't have Asperger's. Mm-hmm. Number one and the biggest one, persistent deficit in social communication and social interaction across multiple contexts as manifested by the following 
currently our bike history and the examples are illustrative and not exhaustive. Deficits in social emotional reciprocity, deficits in nonverbal communicative behaviors, deficits in developing, maintaining, and understanding relationships. Okay. How are you going to help a marriage when you have one of the partners formally diagnosed with autism? You cannot. Mm -hmm. You cannot help it. They will always have the communication disorders. What is marriage based on? Exactly. What is it based on? It's based on communication. It's based on social behaviors where you're motivated to be social. You don't have social motivation Mm -hmm. in autism. Even Temple Grandin says it herself. They're more interested in things rather than persons. They are. Okay, so fix this marriage. I don't think so. (laughs) I really don't think so. So it's a lie. Now, a lot of couples therapists are making oodles and oodles of money with these poor couples that go in and dump thousands and thousands of dollars, get worse. They end up divorcing anyway. Because actually, couples therapy often exacerbates the problems. Mm -hmm. It puts the real problems to the fore, which are the communication problems, Mm -hmm. which is the coercive control problem, which is the controlling behaviors problem, Mm -hmm. which is all of the domestic violence in the home. Now, the day we start actually facing the fact that these marriages are experiencing domestic violence in the Mm -hmm. home, intimate partner violence, then we yes. can shift that could help therapy too. Right. I don't think it could help because even the thing is, after I collected my interviews and had to deal with my data, mm-hmm. I had to redo an entire literature review. The first one was fake. So, you know, as I said, it, I mean, it was a real review, but it had nothing to do with the topic because I was trying to not think about it. The second literature review was what? It was all grounded in the domestic violence literature. I had to learn about domestic violence. I wow. didn't know anything about it. Oh, my word. So I had to study all of the best sources on domestic violence. And the top authors, Lundy Bancroft, for example, he'll say, a partner who is abusive in the home, it is extremely difficult to help because they have such an ingrained attitude of entitlement. Mm-hmm. That they feel entitled. Yeah, the entitlement. That's what. That is really hard to, to what? To what? Dissimulate it or something? You just can't. Feels, the entitlement feels, thing is just too is very strong with my. That's with, why another reason why they don't need they don't need therapy, right? You need it because you have some need it. Yeah. huge problems now. <laughs> and the more we go to therapy, the more everyone's going to see that you have the problems because you're so depressed. You're so full of anxiety. You're having panic attacks now. Right. You have fibromyalgia. You have all these health problems. Mm-hmm. Why? Because you're in right. And I don't know about other these other Asperger fellas and all, but my fella, well, he was an attorney and he had a lot of clients, but he came yeah. off as so affable, so yeah. accommodating. I yeah, mean, he yeah. isn't even. I mean, and a lot of people have different personalities, but he had the he's the most mild mannered. And I'm definitely not that way. And so people couldn't wrap around their brains that there was something wrong with him, not me. And they still, even after I wrote my book and even after talking, there's other people that just say, well, we like both of you and you're like a little loony anyway. I mean, they, it's, it's very difficult. You just have to come to terms with your own. uh, That is why, that is why therapists 
themselves do not see it in therapy sessions, like couples mm-hmm. therapy. They don't see it. Why? Because what we're dealing with is a relational disorder. Mm-hmm. It's relational. Mm-hmm. And the therapist is not in a relationship with this guy. Right. You are. Exactly. He is not. Lucky he is for not. them. Right. So all they're going on is what they see and what they hear, right. which yeah. is all fake, right? Mm-hmm. It's just an act. I like that. I like that. I like that. They're seeing something fake. They're looking at a movie. They're looking at a show. They're looking, they're looking at, at, at a show. They're looking yeah. at an actor. And as a matter of fact, we have a lot of people with Asperger's who are very successful Hollywood actors. Yeah. Good reason. <laughs> now, that's another reason I wanted to do this study. Mm-hmm. It was to reveal the, the reality of these relationships because you don't see it in the therapist's office. Right. And so that is why my book is really, really instrumental, I would say, mm-hmm. for therapists, because if they don't know what they're dealing with, and they usually don't, mm-hmm. they assume that whatever therapy that you're usually used to giving to people like CBT, they assume that it's going to work across the board with right. all cases. Well, that is so wrong. And that's how they do more harm than help. Exactly. And Every single woman I have ever interviewed who has Mm. gone to therapy, she is not only totally disenchanted with therapy, totally disillusioned with the usefulness of couples therapy, but she is angry because she has dumped thousands of dollars in Mm -hmm. therapy and she's gotten worse. And the therapist has totally smoothed by the fake. Right client she sees in the office and it's a desperate feeling it is a desperate feeling because no one believes you no one believes you no one we're going to have to i want to just talk a little bit about your book and your volume two but Mm -hmm. i just wanted i we only have a little bit left time but i was just fascinated by this part of your table of contents i love the Mm -hmm. title it's called stranded in the uncanny valley (laughs) you like that one uh but this is the question for the ages right subtitle why does eros choose autos right this is what we're all saying why me how come they pick me out and the super empath we've always felt that you know they they just know an empath they just it's like they got radar oh there's a i can you know she'll be a great one well then person with asperger's seems to choose as a spouse Mm -hmm. someone who is very sociable, likes mm-hmm. people, is a happy person in general, is a, has a nice temperament, mm-hmm. a kind person usually. I mean, very hum, human being, a human human being. And then what happens, and this is typical, I'm not making this up. This is just based on all of the interviews right. that I've conducted. As a matter of fact, I have to say my book and the following book are research-based. They are not based on my own opinions. Mm-hmm. It's all research. So if anyone has a problem with anything I'm saying, they just go to my book, look up the reference, and read the reference. Go to the reference. These are not my opinions. This is research. So exactly. I have a gazillion research. Yeah, I think I wrote down much. I think you look maybe around 35 pages of glossary and references. That's and a I think lot. They have more. They were probably more like 50 pages. Wow. Right. So it's research based. That's what I right. want to research, do. Research based. So if anyone. Right wants to question anything I've said mm-hmm. on this podcast, go right ahead, but go to the research. Sure. It's not my opinion. It's the research. Exactly. Anyway, so we got, so we, in the 
And Kenny Valley is, why does Eros get stuck in these marriages? Why would she choose a man who is neurologically hardwired to not be able to bond? That was awful. Yeah. Why would she choose him? I start crying now. They edited it out of this book. You know. Well, no, it, it's very hard. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to go into something is. full of hope and love and have this person. It uh, is. It is absolutely heartbreaking mm-hmm. because what happens is the Asperger spouse ends up destroying the other one. Mm-hmm. It's sure. destruction. It's really. I don't throw that term around. No, it's not a joke. I was in bed. I mean, I was in bed. I had so much cortisol. I was in bed with adrenal burnout. I mean, a whole. I've lost years of my life. I know. I spent a week at an NT's home. Mm -hmm. Every morning, as soon as she woke up, I would hear her wailing from pain. And she would wail in pain all by herself in her bed alone in her room. I'd be in the living room having breakfast or something. She'd be wailing and groaning and wailing in pain. Now, we're talking about very highly educated people here. Mm-hmm. I have one friend who is a university professor. I mean, big mm-hmm. time, big name. He was suicidal. He ended up in the hospital as a suicide case. Wow. And this is a very smart, capable woman. Mm-hmm. And even, I don't know, 20 years after the divorce, she is still cowering because she's still afraid that her former spouse mm-hmm. is going to somehow be vindictive, somehow ruin her mm-hmm. career, somehow get fear. back at yep. her. It's That's a shame. 20 years after the divorce. Oh, it's anyway. awful. Always a fear. So we're going to wrap this up. Yeah. I think it would be good for you to describe the book that you're working on, volume two, okay. Okay. and anything you would want to add. I mean, it's so all-encompassing. I, we could do like hours on this. In fact, I actually said to... Dr. Wrench, that we should, she should do a TED talk or, you know, because she, you can't possibly in our little, my little podcast, but, you know, so, you know, well, they can read the book and then they'll get the book. She whole can story. read the book, you know, it's Eros meets Autos, Marriage to Someone with Asperger Syndrome. And the next book, I guess you probably haven't entitled it yet, but it's going to be about custody. Well, it depends how brave I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh my if God. I want to just kind of be smooth and not, you know, ruffle too many feathers. Well, you or, can. You've got, yeah, that's your, I think that's sort of your calling right now. <laughs> yeah. Right. I think so. I think so, April. But I, I don't have the official title yet. No. Anyway, the, the second book is going to be about parenting. Because mm-hmm. someone with Asperger's syndrome cannot parent they no they don't be no they don't care for someone they cannot be responsible for a child mm-hmm. and i mean not just responsible like they can't get them to soccer practice or something like that no no a child is in life-threatening danger if they are under the care of someone with asperger's alone life-threatening danger and I know of cases where... Well, no, but I, I called it Aspergates in my book. And I said, the only reason my children weren't injured that much is because he was never home. And I don't mean a joke. I mean, I made and it sort of humorous. But he would he was dangerous. You know, he was yeah, unthinking, clumsy, non-attentive, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, my, and I'm they just forget. Lucky. They go into their, like, whatever their sole focus might be, or they're on the computer, right. whatever. They focused on that thing, which, you know... In the workplace, if you're working mm-hmm. at Microsoft, that's a good that's thing. That's okay. Yeah. But if you're taking care of a young child, oh, right. no. Mm-mm. So this is 
the first part of my book is going to be about parenting and how dangerous it is. Wow. That's good. I mean, I don't use that term lightly. It's life-threatening. Say, for example, I have one woman who said, I had to tell him that he couldn't leave a baby alone in her bath. <gasps> a baby alone mm-hmm. in her little bath. I had to tell him that. And he resented my telling him. But for me, it was like having two children to care for. It is. Well, we always have that whole part about, you know, this is very common thread, is that our husbands are another child. Yeah. You have to watch what you say. With an invisible handicap. Mm -hmm. And you are the invisible wheelchair. Yeah. (laughs) That's a good way to put it. So I want you to finish this podcast with telling the listeners, who do you think should read this book? Okay, good question. First of all, any person out there who thinks or knows that they're married to someone with Asperger's or autism, mm-hmm. they'll find so much validation. It'll be like reading their autobiography. Wow. Because world over now, interviewing these women, I've interviewed women or worked with women in almost every state in the United States, Canada, the UK, mm-hmm. Australia, South America, and all of these women seem Seriously, to be married to the same man is very strange. But anyway, so anyone obviously who thinks or knows that they have been or are married to someone with Asperger's or autism, if they're suspecting, they read the book and they know for sure. If they know, they'll feel validated Mm -hmm. and they'll finally read their whole story and not a sugar-coated version of their life. Because that is what is missing out there is the whole story, which is all of the domestic violence and the cruelty mm-hmm. and the coercive control at home. Right. No one is talking about it, but that doesn't mean, I mean, no one's talking about it for several reasons yeah. that I do get into in my book. So, obviously, any kind of health service provider, that is doctors and psychotherapists, psychologists, nurses, any of the helping professions, mm-hmm. then right. lawyers, judges, guardian ad litems, and anyone in the legal, in the whole forensic, because even in forensics, you have a lot of people with Asperger's behind bars, wow. but the people who are taking, you know, who, I don't know, prison guards, or guards right? psychologists who work there or social workers, yeah. they have no idea what they're working with. Yeah. So this book is for them as well. Right. And as I said before, this book is not based on my opinion. It is based solely on research. My own research that I really didn't want to do and that I hated the results of. Right. And then everyone else's research, mainly in the areas of affective neural biology, because that is the relational, mm-hmm. that is the right, way we right. see the brain development today. It is relational. And that's why MTs become sick is because our brains are relational. Mm-hmm. Our brains are a social organ. Mm-hmm. That's the bottom line, really. Our brain is a social organ. And if you are in a very, if you are in a love disordered relationship, Disorder. you're going to get sick. Well, yes, sorry. So, well, Dr. Catherine Wrench, congratulations. Congratulations. You, 12 years. On the book? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, ten on mine, but yours is <laughs> we're two opposite minds is a little memoir, but yours can help so many people. I certainly hope people look into the, your book, Amazon. It's the only reason I did it. Now yes. some people think it's too expensive. Like I it's am. an academic book. And just like you mentioned, April, I really appreciated mm-hmm. what you say said in the beginning in the introduction, is mm-hmm. that if people read this book, they can stop going to therapy. Because yeah. they'll have it all in the, I mean, it's not that they'll have it all in the book, but they'll understand, they can understand. why therapy is not working. Right. Knowledge right. is strength. Yeah. And, you know, not, I remember, I think in my book, I even wrote, why doesn't any of these people know about Asperger's? Yeah. Well, they you go to therapy, you think, why don't they know? Don't they? And they didn't. You know, they didn't. No, of course not. So, so I, I wish you all the best of that. And we'll have to, you'll have to you have to keep me informed of how it's going. Yeah. And well, the paperback should be available like within the next day. I've, Uploaded it last night okay. and it has been reviewed by Amazon and accepted. Right. And so by the time it gets up and running live, it should be within the next 24 hours. So we're wow. hot That's on top. Great. Congratulations on, on the, and wait, is there any other way people can, do you have a website or anything yet to learn about you? You're, um, you will. No, eventually. not yet. I will, but I need to concentrate. I have to focus all my time and energy on yeah. writing the book right. first. Right. But. On the copyright page of the book, you have a postal address and you have an email address. Okay, that's good. So if anyone wants to contact me, they can either write a letter and send it to the mm-hmm. postal address mm-hmm. or write an email to okay. that's great. the person who is in charge of my emails All right. who told me, well... I'll send the nice ones and I'll only send the mean ones if they're funny. <laughs> well, you put yourself out there when you do a book, that's for sure. All right. Well, thank you very much. Oh, I'll, I'll have you, to be April. in touch and see how you're doing. You take good yeah, care. With okay. pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye, April. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please review, subscribe, and tell a friend. My website is www.aprilanderson.net. Remember to trust yourself, be strong, and don't let them get you.